Today we're going to start back in our verse-by-verse study moving through the Gospel of Luke. We've had seven weeks off, and today we again start back here in the 16th chapter. Let me start this morning by asking, and I, I really want you to consider this. I really want you to think about this question. How different do you think your life would be if you could see heaven? If just for a little while you could see what heaven is like, if you could see the goings on there, if you could actually see that, how different do you think your life now would be? Now, I'll just be honest with you, I really have trouble even trying to imagine that. If we could actually see heaven, if we could see what is going on there in heaven, how do you think our attitudes might change today? How do you think that would impact the priorities that we set today? What would it change about our day-to-day activities? Would it change anything in our day-to-day activities? If we could actually see heaven, how do you think that would impact our lives today? This year, I'm 46 years old. That's very young. Uh, Last year, I was 26 years old. And I can say really very honestly, maybe with, with a deeper understanding, that for the very first time, I look forward to heaven. I look forward to heaven. I'm excited about heaven. It is going to be awesome in heaven. There are some folks there that I want to see. There are some folks there that I really miss. And more than all that, I'm ready to see Jesus. And I want to see my Savior. And I want to see my King and my Lord. And all the, to finally have all this behind us and to actually be in the presence of Jesus. Heaven is going to be awesome. I tell people, and if you've been around me, you've maybe heard me say, I tell people, if you want to see me celebrating, you find me in heaven. Let me ask you this. How different do you think our lives would be now if we could see hell? If just for a moment we could catch a glimpse of what hell is like, if we could see the goings on in hell, how would that impact our lives Today, Well, today in God's word, in fact, from the mouth of Jesus himself, I believe we're going to see just that. Our message today is entitled, The Reluctant Rich Evangelist. It's going to be in two parts. We're going to cover it this week and next week as well. Again, The Reluctant Rich Evangelist. We're in Luke chapter 16 today, a section of verses, verses 19 through 31. Again, Luke chapter 16 Today, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence of the honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning here in Luke chapter 16, the 19th verse. Again, Jesus is speaking. He says this. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and none that may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to find them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. Thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thankful that we have eternal life because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. We're thankful today for the peace that we have in that. We come today and I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And I pray that today as, as it is laid open for us, that we would hear it, that we would embrace it, that your spirit would, would bring it to us and give us eyes to, to see and ears to hear and there would be an understanding and then it would be applied to our hearts and applied to our minds and applied to our lives and our daily living. I pray that today in the, in the preaching of your word that Christians would grow in their relationship with you, that lost people might find Jesus in this hour for the very first time. I do trust you in this and I lay it at your feet and ask that you would move, that you would work and it would be your voice that would speak. We love you, we praise you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, evidently as in all days, there seems to be an interest and it seems to be a growing interest in the afterlife, in the things that are beyond the grave. And it seems today people are curious and people want to know what happens after you die. What happens when you're gone? In fact, if you look around today, there seems to be an entire industry that has sprung up today to try to satisfy these Curiosities, an industry that sprung up to try to answer and to speak and to give an answer into these questions. And, and you look around, people are asking, what happens when we die? Is there a heaven? Is heaven for real? And if heaven is for real, what is it like there in heaven? And other folks want to know, is there a hell? And is it a, a literal place? And is there a reality of hell? And if that is true, what is it like there in hell? And the, the questions today seem to be endless. And, and folks will come and say, well, what are we going to do there in heaven? And what will we look like there in heaven? And what age will we be in heaven? And will we know people there in heaven and we have all of these questions and they're, they're normal questions and they're natural questions and then in response there is an industry of people who are speaking today offering answers. 
No doubt you've heard of the book, Heaven is for Real. It's the story of a three-year-old kid who dies and goes to heaven. In that book, there's over now 10 million copies have been sold. Uh, a movie came out based upon the book in 2014. It grossed over $101 million, striving to fulfill and answer those same questions. There's another book, Miracles from Heaven. It's the story of a 10-year-old girl and her account of when she dies and when she goes to heaven. And, and there's a book now published. There's also a painting that goes along with that. There is another book called Proof of Heaven. It is an adult. It's a neurosurgeon. His death, heaven experience. And it's a New York Times bestseller. It's been on the bestseller list for over 97 weeks. He was interviewed on the Oprah Winfrey Show. On the flip side of that, a guy named Bill Weiss has written a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. I don't know if I'd tell people that. He describes hell in detail there. He says, the groaning of billions of people was annoying. That's what he says. He says he met Jesus. I don't know what he was doing there. And that Jesus sent him back to tell others that hell is real. And in response to our asking today, people are answering the question. Well, let me start off today by laying the groundwork. Let me start off today by telling you the truth and setting up our foundation. Listen to me and listen very closely this morning. Listen, God has spoken in his word and God in his word has told us that heaven is for real. God in his word has told us that hell is literal and that it is also real. God in his word tells us the necessary details of both of those things. God in his word tells us all that he deemed vital to our Christian walks and our Christian lives. And so be very sure today, God's information revealed to us in his word is sufficient for us today. We need not another source. God has spoken in his word. Good meaning people say, well, you know what? I read that book and it confirmed about heaven. I want to tell you, Jesus has spoken and so it's confirmed the truth of heaven. We need not another source. That seems pretty harsh. That seems pretty narrow, doesn't it? Why does it matter? Now listen very carefully. Listen. Satan always tries to get us to look anywhere but to God's word for our hope. Satan always tries to get us to look anywhere but to God's word for our information. And Satan tries to mislead us and it, it may sound right and it may use our language, but he tries to draw us away from looking to God's word for our information. So I just wanna tell you today, church, we need to keep coming back here. We need to keep coming back to God's word. We need to keep looking at all things to God's word. I think about the song, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say? What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Listen to me. We have it all in his word. He has sufficiently given us all that we need for Christian faith and Christian life in his word. We need to turn to and trust his word today. 
Now, here's an interesting thing. Jesus actually addresses this. Today in our verses, we have, and I think it's a very interesting thing, we have really the first description in Scripture, the first discussion in Scripture of existence after death. Now, we talk about, and there's places there that it infers and it points to it, but really this is the first description that it actually talks about, the first discussion of what it looks like to actually live beyond the grave. Jesus doesn't ignore it. He addresses it. And so we have his discussion recorded for us here in Luke chapter 16. Let's look at the verses today, beginning there in verse 19. Jesus is speaking, he says this. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Now starting off here in the 19th verse, Jesus is going to paint a picture for us. He's going to show us a stark contrast. He's going to show us a contrast between these two men. Now, remember, Jesus had been talking to the religious leaders. He'd been talking to the Pharisees. Remember, they had so corrupted the religious system that they had adopted their religious practice to match and to meld into the, the goals of the world. And you look at those Pharisees and you look at what they're doing. They love esteem. And so they find it in their religious position. They love money. And so they've set it up where they will profit from the religious practice. They are self-serving. And so they adapt the laws and they interpret the laws to suit themselves. And that's how these Pharisees exist. In verse 14 it says, the Pharisees were lovers of money. And it says that they were listening in. And so to these corrupt Pharisees, he speaks and he paints the picture of this contrast. He reveals this contrast. Jesus says here, there was a rich man. Now I want you to understand this is not just a wealthy man. This is an exceedingly wealthy man. This is a man who's not just doing okay, not just gotten ahead of other folks. This is an absolutely exceedingly wealthy, rich man. Now we're going to see that in his description. It says this, he habitually, now this means the daily practice of his life. He habitually, this is what he daily did. This is what he often did. He habitually dressed in purple. Now, I read that to, to have the dye to make purple clothing, the dye was taken in this region from a very rare fish. And so you not only had to catch this fish, but you had to catch this fish in a quantity large enough to get the dye from the fish and then you had to extract the dye and then dye the clothing. It was a very, very expensive thing to dress in purple. If Susie Byers was here, I was going to tell her this is why it's so high to go to TCU. <laughs> it's an expensive thing in this day. It's a, an extravagant thing to be dressed in purple. And it says this is how he dressed every day. When people would see a man or see a person in their purple clothing, they would understand this is a person of great wealth. This is a, great, a person of great 
privilege. And it says here these were really his daily clothes. It also says that they were fine linen, that his clothing were made of fine linen. This would have been clothing that were made in Egypt. And, and some of the archaeological accounts said that the, the weaving there from Egypt was so fine that they called it woven air. So soft and so fine. And, and this is what he wears daily. Purple clothing with an expensive dye and, and, and linen that are coming from Egypt. Says here that in, he joyously lived, was joyously living in splendor. Splendor, the Greek word for that means sumptuously. Really, it's, it's really a word that's hard to put into an exact understanding. It means extravagant elegance sumptuously. He was joyously living in splendor. That's how he was living. Joyously living means endless merrymaking. Endless merrymaking. And what that means is this guy got up in the morning and whatever he wanted to do, he had the resources to do it. And if he wanted to go fishing that day, he was going to go fishing. And if he wanted to go golf, if he was crazy enough to do that, he could go play golf that day. And every day was fun on top of fun on top of fun. Endless merrymaking. What are we going to do now? I don't know. We'll find something to top that. Every day was living in these fine clothes and endlessly seeking the pursuit of happiness. Here's the picture. As far as earthly living goes, this guy has it. The best of the best. He has ease and he has comfort and he has fun and he is living the life and there's not a better life than anybody could ever have and it's not just occasionally. It's not just when he goes on vacation. It is every day and as far as the world is concerned, he has arrived. He has reached the pinnacle. Let me point this out. <clears throat> Today, isn't that our goal still? Today, isn't that what we still seek? And we may act like, well, we're more evolved and we're more intelligent than that, but isn't that really the standard that we still seek? Isn't that the, the level of success that we seek, that we would wear clothes, that everyone would be impressed, and we would do the things that we want to do all day long, and it would be a day of endless merrymaking? Isn't that what the world calls success? Look at verse 20. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered in sores. Verse 21. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now we start to see the contrast here. This is a poor man, but it's not just talking about a poor man. This is a really, really poor man. This is a poor man. Now we're going to see how poor he is. Listen to the description here. It says this. He was laid at his gate. This man, Lazarus, was laid at the rich man's gate. Now the Greek word here, the Greek phrase for laid at his gate means to be abandoned and it means roughly. To be abandoned roughly. Today we might interpret this and say he was dumped at his gate. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. His family and his friends, whoever these people were, they saw this guy was so 
destitute. They saw this guy was so pathetic that there was no hope for him. And if he was going to live or if he was going to die, they couldn't do anything for him. And so the best thing they could do was take him to the gate of this rich man's house and dump him there at the gate. And maybe he'll live. Maybe that guy will come by and show grace. Or maybe he won't. Maybe he'll die there. But we have nothing we can do further for him. And there's no hope. And he's dumped there at the rich man's gate. This man, Lazarus, such was his state in life that he's just dumped there at this gate. Now, the Bible goes on and says this. He is covered with sores. The word for sores means, translates ulcerations, which means this. Open wounds, boils, open sores. And so they come by and they dump him at the gate and there he sits and he's covered in open wounds. He's covered in these sores all over his body. Now that's that's not bad enough, this intense pain. It also says that he longed to be fed the crumbs that fell from the table. Now I want you to notice when you read this, it doesn't say that he ate the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. He sat there and he longed for the crumbs. Oh, that I, that I could just get a piece of that bread. And he's there and he's covered in sores and his, his stomach's there in a knot and he's so hungry. He's so hungry. Oh, that I could just have some of those crumbs. And he could see them as they pass in and pass out of the gate. Maybe at night he could hear the laughter of their parties and he could hear the, the, cla- the glasses and he could hear the, the laughing and the merrymaking that's going on and he's out there by the gate. Oh, that I could just have some of these crumbs. It says this, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. These would have been wild dogs, a pack of wild dogs. The Jewish people Consider them as as filth, as rats, really like varmints. And really what these dogs are doing when they're coming to Lazarus, they're waiting really for his demise. And they're coming and they're licking his wounds that there might be a day where they would come and he would be dead and they would consume him. And so he's not only there in agony, he's not only there in pain, he's not only there starving, he's continually having to fend off and to push off these pack of dogs. So we see the contrast in the rich man and Lazarus. Now I think it's ironic here, really it's not, but I think it's important here to understand. Lazarus means God helps. God helps. Now these Pharisees are wondering when they hear his name, really? This guy's name is is God helps and he's here in, in agony and his name means that God helps? And these Pharisees, they believe that God's favor was shown to somebody through wealth. And God's disfavor was shown in the fact that they were poor. And they believe that God blesses those with finances. And God blesses those that, with health, those that he favors. And so this man was a dis- disgrace. And they thought he was, he was so far beneath him, they would never show him compassion. They would never care for him. And I think maybe as they walked by, they heard his name and said, well, you know what, God's going to have to help him. We're not going to. Verse 22, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now I have to explain this. This is a very awesome picture here in verse 22. Now see this, it says the poor man died 
But notice it doesn't say he was buried. These Pharisees, they would have known the story. They would have understood what was happening here in the story. Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnon, was actually a trash dump outside of the city. It was outside of the walls of the city. And the folks inside the city would gather up their trash and they would haul it out to this trash dump. This trash dump has fires that are going in it and the fires are burning up the trash and that pack of wild dogs was sure to frequent this trash dump. Well, this poor man, Lazarus, would have been scooped up and put in a cart and it would have been hauled outside of the, the walls of the city and he would have been thrown into the trash dump to have his remains burned with the trash. A miserable, disgusting place. And he's carried there and put in the trash dump. And no one noticed when he died. And no one cared that he had died. And there was not a gravestone to come and visit and to remember this poor man, Lazarus. He's dumped in the trash heap outside of town. The rich man, the Bible says that he died and he was buried. He had five brothers, we read, had a big family. I'm sure all of the people who ate at his table, all the people that came to his celebrations, all those who celebrated his worldly success would have been at a big funeral and they would have had a big time celebrating the rich man's life and there would have been a marked grave and, and there in his marked grave, it would have been a monument to the success that he has in this world and maybe there was a fine engraving on the stone and maybe somebody had carved a, a statue of stone and his burial was a big, big deal. Notice this, it never gives his name. His fame ended there. They, they processed through the streets and they came to his funeral there, but his fame ends there. The, the run of his success ended there. And now in the story, there's still a contrast, but see how the, the contrast now begins to turn. In verse 22, see the picture. It says, the angels carry, they take Lazarus' soul and they carry it to Abraham's bosom. I love this part of the verse. I love this part of the story. The angels carry him. They, they scooped him up in a cart and they carried him to a trash heap and they burned his body. But the angels of heaven pick him up and they carry him to Abraham's bosom. For the Jew, Abraham, the father of the faith, to be with him in death would be to be in paradise. And for a Jew, this was your reward. Let me say this right here. And be sure and hear me. Be sure and hear what I'm saying. It's not based upon a book written by a three-year-old. Listen. Death for God's people is not terrible. Death for God's people is not to be dreaded. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And I want you to understand in the process of death, there in death is where God's grace and God's kindness and his gentle care are finally realized for a Christian and for this man Lazarus. And there he was tormented on earth, but now he is being comforted there in paradise and the angels tend to him and he's now there in Abraham's bosom there. How awesome is that? What an awesome joy that is. Listen to me, that's what Jesus says. I couldn't help but read this story. 
Think about my dad. In the midst of his chemo, tough stuff. There was a run where he was covered up in sores. He had sores all over his body. And I remember even in his hair and in his scalp and in the inside of his mouth. And I remember him being there in, those, in that condition. And I remember the, the agony of those sores and thinking, how terrible. How does this make any sense? I want to tell you what Jesus has said. He is being comforted now. There are sores no more and no more sickness and no more weeping. And that's what God says a Christian looks for in death. And it's not a terrible thing. It's not a dreaded thing. But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Verse 23. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes. I'm going to explain that right quick. Hades is the place of death. Before the resurrection, the word shoal, it's an interchangeable word, is the place of death. All dead people would have gone to shoal, the place of death. At this time, both of these folks are in the place of death. Now listen to the description. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Go ahead, I want to read through verse 26. And he kept, cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fix so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. All right. So what does hell look like? Here in the place of death in Shoal, those who died with a faith in God and those who perished apart from God, both of them are there, but they're separated by this gulf. Between them, evidently they could see each other across this great gulf. And there on one side, Abraham and the saints of old, those who had put their faith in God, and the Bible says Lazarus, in verse 25, now are being comforted here. So we see that. They're on one side of the gulf. Now we see the description of hell. And I want to bring out some things, some points about hell. First is this. Understand, hell is is a place of punishment. Hell is a punitive place. Hell is a place of punishment. Verse 23 says, the rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now stay with me. The Greek word for torment means severe pain caused by torture. The original understanding, torment, is the result of torture. Brace yourself this morning to see the reality of hell. Understand this, hell is punitive. Hell is a punishment. We water it down. We don't want it to be so bad. Well, maybe it's not so bad. We sing songs about it. We'll we'll party all the way to hell's gate and maybe it won't be so bad. I'll go in there and my sorry friends will be in there with me. Maybe it won't be so bad. Well, maybe it's a place of regret. We'll say, well, the the worst thing of hell is regret. Yeah, there's going to be regret. 
Maybe the worst thing is being separated from God. Yes, but I'm going to tell you, I, I can't understand being separated from God, but maybe that's the worst of it. Listen to me. It is a place where God punishes those who have rejected the name of his son, Jesus. And God's wrath towards sin is poured out there in punishment. Hell is a place of punishment. Revelation chapter 20. In the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. The devil is thrown there, and there they will be tormented night and day forever. Heaven, hell is a place of punishment. It gets worse. It's a place of punishment. It's also a place of agony. Listen to verse 24. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. He says, I am in agony. Revelation chapter 21 says, there is a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And here in this account, we find that the rich man is in it and he laments and he cries out in agony. Oh, that I would have a drop of water. I passed by this man. I wouldn't even stop and give him the time of day. Oh, but that he would bring me a drop of water. And he is there in agony. Have mercy, Father Abraham. Somebody have mercy. Be sure hell is a place of agony. It is a place of anguish. It is a place of intense pain. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42. And they are thrown into a furnace of fire. In that place there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Let me ask the question today. If we could see hell, how would we live differently today? If we could catch a glimpse of what's going on in hell, how would we respond different today? If we can see hell, what about the lost people in our lives today? It's a place of punishment. It's a place of agony. It is also a place of regret. A place of regret. Listen to verse 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in Agony. It says, Abraham said, child, remember. Understand the, the magnitude of this. This man has just passed into an eternity of remembering. Remembering how good that he had it. And he had all the things of this world, but it comes to no end. And he has to remember that, remembering how he passed by the man and he showed no mercy, but now he himself cries out for mercy and he has to remember. More than that, he has to remember that he thought the hope that he had was in the things of this world and, and so much so that he rejected the truth of who God is. And so for all eternity, he has to sit there and remember and live in regret. Oh, that I turned to a holy God. Oh, that I had compassion in my heart. Oh, that I'd have lived differently. Oh, that I would have shown mercy. And he sits there in regret. Hell is a place of punishment. It's a place of agony. It's a place of regret. It's a place of permanence. A place of permanence. Listen to verse 26. And besides all this, such a short statement, such a quick reference here, but how profound that is. 
Besides all this, so quick we might miss it. Besides all the punishment, besides all the agony, besides all of the regret, besides all of that, in addition to all of that, on top of all that, there's going to be something else. Can you imagine? On top of all that, the Bible says there is a great chasm. Translates a gulf. There is a great gulf there. See this, it says that it is fixed. It means that it is set. It is fixed. It is set there. And this gulf, this distance is set there by God. It is set there on purpose. Understand there is a separation and that separation is fixed. More than that, look at the rest of verse 26. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. That will not be able. The verb tense there means that they are not able now, but it also means in the future they will not be able to. Now what that means is the separation, the gulf is permanent. Understand, hell is permanent. Hell is never ending. There's some that would like to say, after a period, it's gonna pass away. Listen to me, the punishment and the agony and the regret of hell, somebody can't pray you out of it. Somebody can't pull you out of it. There's no second chance once you're there. Hell is permanent. I'm gonna stop right there today. We'll move on next week. But I come back to the question, what if you could see hell? What would be different in your life now? I sit there and I read this story and I think, what if the rich man knew? What if those nights of endless joy and the party that never ended, what if, what if the rich man would have known, oh, that he would have done it different? What if he'd have known how dire the consequences were? What if he'd known how permanent it was? What if the rich man would have known Good news, listen to me. God's grace still stands. Listen to me. God's mercy shown through Jesus Christ for us still stands. Are you listening to me today? The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Remember when I said, Satan wants you to look anywhere for your hope. I want to tell you the good news of God's word is, our hope is in Jesus, and it still stands today. There's no reason to go to hell. There's no reason to endure that punishment. There's no reason to be there in punishment. Jesus paid it all. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the grace that God extends to you today. There's no reason to go to hell today. Jesus paid it all. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And I'm thankful that you lay it out and you make it plain. And you tell us, yes, you're a God that's just. And your justice doesn't bend. And there's a punishment for those who reject Jesus Christ. But we see in contrast to that, that whatever this world looked like, however tough these days may have been, your grace still stands and God still helps. And he did it through his son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray for some in this room that haven't cemented that. 
that haven't settled it and they're here today saying, well, I'm not sure if that's, if that's been done or I'm not sure if I took care of that or I don't know if that's a personal thing for me. I pray that today that in the truth of your word that today they would truly settle it. Stir in their hearts. Convict them, lead them. I pray for us here today that our Christians that this would renew an urgency inside of us to shout it from the rooftops, to shout it from the mountaintops. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no need to perish. Oh, that we would hold them back. Help us in that, Lord. Help us in that. Lord, I just tell you how much I love you because I earned hell and I deserved hell. But in your grace, you sent Christ to pay my penalty and by faith in him, I might be saved. I thank you, Lord. Move freely in our midst at this time, Lord. I lay this at your feet and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.